This is the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm Damona Hoffman, and in addition to being the host of this podcast, I'm also a Black entrepreneur. My core business is as a dating and relationship coach, but in my previous career as a media executive, I also launched diversity programs at NBC and CBS. So I've been carrying the torch of underrepresented voices for a long time. And now the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are not only bringing up a lot of feelings of frustration and anger for me, but also questions from friends on where we can go from here. To help you put what's happening in context and see what tangible action steps you can take to support Black Americans, we put together this special bonus episode. My guest is Eric Williams, who previously appeared on a panel at one of our I Make a Living Live events. In addition to being a philanthropist and community leader, Eric is also the CEO and founder of The Silver Room in Chicago. Here he is describing the role of his business in his community. I guess in its in its foremost state, it's a retail store, but it's much more than that. We employ folks from the community. A lot of the merchandise we sell, which is jewelry, accessories, hats, bags, t-shirts, are made by people in the community. We also use the space as a, uh, a art gallery and a community gathering space. So we host everything from record release parties to uh, to art openings. I've had weddings in there before, book signings, you name it. So. It's more than just retail. It's a space that people know that they're a part of the space. We also host a big block party every year that attracts about 40,000 people. So we've been around for 22 years and people see it as their own space, for sure. As a woman of color, I want to make sure that I'm making this podcast as accessible to everyone as I can. When you say that people feel that they have their own space, do you mean people of color? Do you mean black people? You mean a space for everybody? I mean, a space for everybody, but particularly people of color. A lot of the folks that work there are black folks. And when you walk into a space, you kind of have a feeling if it's for you or not. You know, it's one thing to be not discriminatory. It's another thing to be inclusive. And just from everything we sell to the events we have, people know that these are things that they can relate to. And so because of that, people will ask to host certain events that are specific to our community. Discussions about, you know, what's going on in politics, discussions about activism, things that we face that are sometimes very particular to our community. Are you seeing a shift? Are you seeing more of um, an interest in supporting black businesses and having these conversations? Oh, it's, it's been I've talked to my friends in the last couple of days. I've never had more non-black people reach out and say, how can I help than I ever have in my life? So, you know, especially in the fashion world, you see brands thinking about inclusiveness, brands thinking about their part in in this issue, actually. You know, it's not always intentional racism as if, okay, we intentionally didn't uh, help this person or hire this person, but it was the non-intentionality of being inclusive. So I think people are kind of seeing that, you know what, I do play a small part in this. Uh, What can I do to kind of help change some of these narratives? I mean, we have an extreme incident occurrence that happened, obviously, with the murder of George Floyd. But I think there are smaller things, these small in- incremental activities that happen that lead to a, a climate that is not something that is very inclusive, that, you know, we feel as black people that we're not a part of sometimes of, of certain societies. So I think this, these discussions 
have come up and people seem to be very, very, very open to say, you know what, I'm part of the issue too. Let's talk about this, you know, because in the end, this is a country that can benefit from everybody being a part of it. So I 100% have seen people talking about this. And then for me as an entrepreneur, seeing the connection between entrepreneurship, the economic hardships that we've faced for all these years and arts and culture, um, it's this connection, I think, that's, that's very deep. And I think I'm, I'm really, really happy that people are talking about it right now. I just hope it's not a short-term thing. I hope this is like something that we think about long-term because you can't protest forever. You can't march forever. But what kind of policies can we implement that will help change the narrative um, for years to come and hopefully forever? Well, let's talk about that for our listeners. Obviously, if they're still here with us, they want to do something. They want to support the change and they want to support Black-owned businesses, or maybe even diversify their own business, but they don't know where to begin. Let's just start with supporting Black-owned businesses. I've been seeing from a lot of corporations, like you said, now they are aware that we're here (laughs) and they want to support us. So I'm seeing a lot of lists of Black-owned businesses. I'm seeing a lot of articles. All of a sudden, here are 75 Black-owned businesses that (laughs) that you can support. Exactly. and maybe I'm maybe I'm just a little salty because I'm not on all of those lists. But, right, right, right. But what can people do to go beyond that? Because to me, that's like the low hanging fruit. Oh, okay, I'll just go to this list and I'll buy some things from these companies. But to me, it's more of a systemic change that needs to happen in the way that you think about researching the companies that you're going to buy from. But just to begin, maybe people can just start with supporting Black-owned businesses. What does that mean to you? And how have you always and how do you now encourage that, you know, within your community? I mean, again, we have about 50 uh, vendors in our store that are Black. So when we sell things, you know, these, these Black folks make money. They can employ other Black folks. And, you know, it just helps our, our community in general. I think sometimes, and I'm going to speak about fashion and retail in particular, it's not always necessarily like, oh, we don't like black people, we're racist. It sometimes comes down to this thing of the bottom line for some people. Indirectly, it's, it is racism. And I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, I had a friend of mine who owns a, a sunglass company, and he doesn't have any black models, right? So I had a friend reach out to him and say, hey, you know, we've noticed that you've never had any black models. He said, well, why is that? He says, well, that's not our customer base. And I don't want to turn off some of our white customers because they see a black model and think that this is not for them, you know? So again, it wasn't him being overtly racist, but understanding that, you know, um, you need to think about your part in this, you know, like what part can you play in saying, you know what, this is not about the bottom line. It's about being inclusive. So I think there's a lot of people who are thinking about this in a different way now that, that they've been also a part of the problem. So yes, it's part of the, yes, you can definitely go and buy black and, that's great. You know, please shop at the Silver Room. We love it. But it's in your everyday life also. It's your fears you have of people who don't look like you. It's the fear of speaking out against injustice. I mean, to me, that's the larger picture. It's not just the easy, in some ways, low-hanging fruit. Let me donate money. Let me buy stuff. But how can I play a part in this in my everyday life? As a small business owner, I have often struggled with finding imagery that speaks to my diverse audience for my website and marketing materials. And as a consumer... I have struggled to find products that are truly made for me or have advertisements that reflect my needs or experiences. It'd be easy to say that many products are just not meant for an audience of color, but the problem runs much deeper than that. I think sometimes as black people, we're not even thought of. 
so it's it's not even a matter of like I'm going to intentionally, you know, be racist towards you or discriminated towards you. It's like you weren't even a thought. You know, I think that's actually more the issue sometimes. Like we're not even thought of. And then when you bring something up, it's like, oh yeah, I didn't know that. Another, I think a big part of this is in this country, we've been really, really, really bad at teaching history. You know, we have quote unquote American history, which some would say is white history. Then we have black history, which is slavery, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, Obama. All right, we're done. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I think if we could really teach uh, real history uh, and black history as part of American history, what black people did, how we got here, what we built, you know, Reconstruction, you know, Jim Crow. I mean, all of that stuff, I think to put it in context non-black people, white people would understand certain things better as opposed to saying, well, you guys just did this and you guys did that. And why aren't there more black businesses? And you guys should be better educated. What is reasons for all of this? You know, and I think a a huge part of it is a lack of really being honest with ourselves and having really serious, honest education to understand why we are where we are now. You know what I mean? Like, why is the housing the way it is now? Why is employment the way it is now? We live in these neighborhoods that are in cities that are separate, you know, and they're not equal. You know what I mean? So, like, why is all that happening right now? And taking a deep, dark look, we've all heard stories from my parents. You know, my grandmother, she's from Mississippi. She told me the reason that she came to Chicago during the Great Migration. You know what I mean? Like, do people understand this big shift from the South to the North, why that happened? My grandmother witnessed a lynching, literally, in 1924. Now, she tells me this story. Now, this is in my head. You know, my grandmother had a business because she couldn't get hired by a white person at the time. You know, we, th- we talk about Tulsa, Oklahoma and Black Wall Street, you know. And, I mean, there's so much history. I think if we understood history better, we would understood where we're at right now. I feel as though there's sometimes a refusal to acknowledge history. Maybe it's painful for some people. Maybe they don't want to acknowledge the privilege that they have. But I think just being honest with one another will help us get through these tough times. And I, I do see now some people at least willing to listen. And I've seen that in somebody's list. Here's some books you can read to understand things better. Here's some videos you can look at to understand things better. So for me right now, it's really about, yes, it's great. Donate money, shop at the Silver Room. But long term, we have to take a a real honest look at ourselves. Mm, Yeah. Beyond even just uh, supporting Black businesses, which I think is really important, what you've done, as you said, with the Silver Room is you have also created a pipeline where other Black businesses can be supported and can have their work amplified. Having come from corporate media in a diversity role, we were often talking about supplier diversity. And, you know, this is a company where we had a whole department that was responsible for diversity. A lot of our audience, they're entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. So it's just them thinking about all these things. And I just don't want anyone to feel like we're giving them one more thing to think about. But there's a lot that you can do as a small business owner, and you've proven that, to support Black entrepreneurship. So what kind of conversations should small business owners be having in terms of supplier diversity, making sure that people that they collaborate with, people that they get their products or resources from are also diverse in their representation? Sure, sure. I mean, to me, it's about uh, sustainability. You know, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like, you know, something you can think about, you know, for the next few months. It's like, how do you build a pipeline with folks who work in the service industry, with folks who work in manufacturing, 
that now we're actually producing products for other people. You know what I mean? And a lot of this is because we've been locked out of these certain industries for so long, we don't have the know-how. And sometimes you have to be understanding of that. Well, why aren't there more black tech companies? Well, why aren't there more black manufacturers? Well, we didn't have the resources and we didn't have the know-how, you know, from the 1920s or whatever year this was. So rather than me saying, let me just kind of give you this right now, maybe I'm going to bring you into the fold and kind of work with you to train you so you can do this on your own. So end of the day, it's about ownership and how can we have these independent black businesses own their properties, own the means of production, you know what I mean, to supply other folks. You know, so I'm looking at it as, well, what if there's this black-owned microchip company that's supplying white companies? You know what I mean? That, to me, is how we should be thinking in a larger picture as opposed to handouts in a way, which I feel like, okay, we're going to do this little one contract with you. Well, actually, can you teach me or help me figure out how we can be your competitors in some ways? And that's a difficult conversation, but I think that's where it has to go because there's a power dynamic that exists. We're dependent on somebody else, and at some point, if there's a paradigm shift where we're in control of our own destiny by having ownership, uh, control of manufacturing, control of supply chains, now we can kind of be the kings of our destiny in a different way than we are right now. And wouldn't you say also that hiring within your company has something to do with that? Having additional voices that you're working alongside every day that has to have an impact on the pipeline and the choices that you make in your business down the line. Yeah, for sure. I have friends that work in marketing and advertising. One company in particular, I won't name it, but they're in Chicago. It's a a worldwide company. They have about 800 employees. And I asked my friend who's a producer there, I said, well, how many black people do you have in, in leadership roles, like real leadership roles? And he said out of the 800 people, he said there's three or four, literally at three or four. Wow. So which means the way you're being marketed to, the way that people see you is not coming from a community of people who actually really understand you. Because for so long, other people have marketed to us and we've been consumers. I mean, we're a consumer class, not a production class. We're a consumer class that we'll just take anything, you know. So I think it's shifting a little bit where we say, no, you know what? We understand ourselves more than anybody else. We have to be at the table. We have to benefit from the money that's being made off of us. You know what I mean? So I think we have to kind of think about these opportunities that we are part of the entire process rather than just being like sold to. Yeah, I was looking up some background just on how black CEOs are represented in large companies. And I found that as of today, only four CEOs in the current Fortune 500 companies are black. And only two in history have ever been black women. And that to me, it shows that we haven't had a pipeline that's been able to grow black talent to the point where they can be decision makers within the company, but we can start small. What about philanthropy? A lot of companies want to contribute a portion of their funds to philanthropy or even their personal funds to be able to support blacks in America. How do you recommend people figure out which companies are the right ones for them to support and for their business if they're, say, donating a percent of proceeds to a charity organization that it's in alignment with their values? Wow. You know, I mean, there's so many nonprofits and foundations and companies out here that are doing great work. So, I mean, there's a million lists, honestly, that I don't even know them all. I think it's important. I I think, you know, people who are giving money and donating to causes is important. 
But to me right now, I think it's even more important to say, hey, look, you know what? I got an extra $5 million. I can donate a portion of this. But how can I actually talk to somebody or teach somebody how I, how I made my $5 million? You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm looking at. You know, it's like the teach a man to fish and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I, I think for me right now, it's really important that this information and knowledge that has been hidden and not uh, exposed to us for so long is actually shared. So we can actually become the people who are not dependent on donations and foundations. So to answer your question, I mean, there's tons of them out there. You can, Silver Room Foundation is one we started actually, which I'm working on right now. I'm working on uh, how can we have black ownership in black neighborhoods and blighted communities. Uh, we had these commercial corridors that had riots in 1968 that never recovered. So you have over 50% vacancy in a lot of neighborhoods in Chicago along the commercial corridor. But what if we could buy this building and we could fund a black entrepreneur to have their own retail space in their own neighborhood? I mean, that to me is a great idea and it doesn't take a whole bunch. So I think those kind of ideas that are more sustainable make the most sense. You know, like what's the long term, the end goal, as opposed to just here, here's a one-time donation and that's great, but what happens the next year? And then as a nonprofit, Every year you're writing grants to get more money, to get more money, as opposed to being able to kind of sustain yourself. So that's that's kind of, I think, it's, it's really about the long term. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, uh, and I hope that really flips the perspective for some people, because I think there's the reactive approach of like, I'm outraged at what's happening. I need to write a check to somebody. Mm -hmm. But writing a check, I mean, believe me, write a check to Great. the Silver Roof Foundation. <laughs> exactly. right, right. Don't get me wrong. But... Writing a check can only do so much. And to really create systemic change, you have to go beyond that. And like you said, make an investment in the community and redistribute wealth. I mean, that's another issue with Black-owned businesses is like to be able to be an entrepreneur, to have the privilege to be an entrepreneur like many of our listeners are, you're maybe foregoing a nine to five job and a regular paycheck. And you may not have the stores of capital available to you where you can just ride it out. Like we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show who said that they decided not to take a paycheck for, you know, a year to get their business off the ground, or they basically just reinvested in their business. And not everybody can do that. And especially when we look at black communities that, because of some of the things you mentioned before, haven't been able to build generational wealth. And we look at it at a time when coming out of coronavirus, or hopefully coming out of coronavirus, where I read a statistic that 58% of black and Latino households don't have enough income to cover three months of expenses without income. And that's compared to 29% of white households. So when you really step back and look at it, it's like, you can't build wealth if you don't have the foundation to build it upon. And we can look at that again, just, just back to what I was talking about with history. So the question would be why? And a lot of that comes from a housing discrimination. You know, most of a family's uh, worth is because of their ownership of land. If you couldn't own land, your grandmother couldn't own land. How can that be passed down to your family? We can't begin to create the systemic change that needs to happen without first understanding the systems in place that were built to undermine Black communities. One of the biggest contributors to the lack of wealth in Black households is the practice of redlining, 
a policy put in place by the Federal Housing Administration in 1934, which designated certain neighborhoods as undesirable and prevented African-Americans from getting loans to buy homes in those areas, while also locking them out of homeownership in white neighborhoods completely. As a direct result, white mortgage owners got a head start on creating intergenerational wealth, while the black communities across the nation were pushed into undesirable, underfunded neighborhoods into buildings that they didn't own. And before you say, that was ancient history, think about how the predatory lending practices that led up to the housing market crash in 2008 disproportionately affected black and Latino families, many of whom still have not recovered from losing their homes. I can't consolidate 400 years of Black history into a few sentences, so I'll leave you with this. If you don't understand what Eric and I are talking about, this is the perfect time to educate yourself. So again, I think just to put it in perspective, we have to understand why that is. Uh, I had friends of mine, I used to work in finance before I opened the store up, and you know, just like you said, you know, the first day of work for me, they're calling up their uncles and cousins and, and father's friends and getting, you know, $100,000 investment. I had nobody to call. So we have to kind of look at the history to understand uh, the present. And not having ownership is a huge issue to this day. Even I'm going to talk about what happened this, this past week with the, the uprising. A lot of things that happened in my neighborhood, I'm in the south side of Chicago, a lot of these businesses were destroyed. Most of the businesses in black neighborhoods are not black owned. So what if they were black owned? Maybe a person's cousin owned this building, or a person's father or mother owned this building, and then they wouldn't destroy it, you know? So all of that plays a part in what's happened and what's happening and what's going to happen in the future. So for me, I'm really, really just really focused on how can we own our own property, own our own business, own the ways and means of production to be sustainable, not just this one little, okay, here's a couple hundred dollars, here's a couple hundred thousand dollars, but then what's next? How do we own? How do we manufacture? How do we produce for ourselves? Yeah. And I just want to also reiterate, it's not about taking spots away from other people or taking more of the pie. It's about just getting some of the pie and just getting a seat at the table. And um, I feel like this is something that throughout my entire career I've been trying to voice, but I'm glad to have a moment now where other people are really opening up to listening and um, allowing folks like you, Eric, to be able to get their message across that you've been living for your entire career. This isn't something new. Always been going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, and even thinking about like me as a, as, a, as a black business owner, I've had classes come by where teachers would come by and say, hey, look, this is a black business owner. And you have students who are, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, some of them in high school had never met a black business owner before in their entire lives. So now in their minds, they say, oh, I can actually own the property. I can actually own the business. I can actually have this idea for an app. I can actually do it because I saw it. So that's been a big issue too, is not having the resources in the network to even think anything is possible. I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. I mean, if we just look at our history again, we understand that our history in this country, it's very different, right? We have, we have very different histories. So I think we have to start from a place of honesty to be able to move forward to fix it and address these inequities in society to actually address them. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to open our eyes up a little bit more. And I hope that everybody listening will 
take action and use this as an opportunity to create sustainable change. Thank you. The issue of racial inequality in America is so overwhelming. You might feel like you can't make an impact, but there are many things you can do today to make a change. Here are five steps you can take right now to support Black entrepreneurship. Get educated on the history of segregation in America to develop a deeper understanding of the inequities between races. Buy from a Black-owned business, or better yet... Look for suppliers, consultants, and team members of color the next time you're sourcing. Take a long, hard look at your company's marketing and ask if it's inclusive of a diverse audience. Make a donation to an organization that supports Black communities and is in alignment with your goals and values. Mentor someone. Help an entrepreneur of color gain knowledge and access to circles that they have previously been shut out of. FreshBooks is proud to stand against racism, white supremacy, and injustice, and is committed to support Black-owned small businesses and Black entrepreneurs. You can support Eric Williams and his retail store online at thesilverroom.com. And if you're in Chicago, please support his brick-and-mortar store and events in Hyde Park post-COVID. I encourage you to continue this discussion with me on social media at Demona Hoffman. And to all those inspiring people around us using their voices, platforms, and resources to fuel change, we see you, we're listening to you, and we are ready to do the work alongside you. This show is made by Paco Erzmendi, our producer and director, James Morris, composer and editor, Leo Shell Villanueva, associate producer, and me, your producer and host, Demona Hoffman. And remember to be the change you wish to see in the world because it's your business.